Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this body that you have given us to belong to, your bride, the church, the people of God. We thank you that it transcends buildings and distances. We thank you that it is victorious over things like uh, sicknesses and pandemics. We thank you that it has stood the test of time through history. We thank you that it unites your people, whether they be here in Maricopa, in different church buildings, or all over the world. We worship you for this thing that you have done in redeeming a people for your glory, for your name. We thank you for this thing that you have done in adopting us as your children and making us your own. And God, I ask this morning that your spirit would move. That your Holy Spirit would minister to and encourage the hearts of those who have heavy hearts. Who sometimes doubt and wonder and worry and fear over the assurance of their soul as a child of God. God, for those people, would you alleviate those fears and calm their hearts and encourage them in the truth of your word. And Lord, for those whose hearts are unregenerate, who are far from you, who don't know what it means to be a child of God, I pray that you would pierce through the darkness of their lack of understanding and their hard-heartedness and you would redeem them, that you would bring them into the fellowship of the saints, that they might know what it is to belong to this beautiful body of believers who call Christ Savior and Lord. Lord, do that mighty work, we pray in our hearts this morning. Amen. Open your Bible with me to 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. I always encourage you to bring your Bible to church uh, or pull it up on an app if you have that on your phone. If you don't have a Bible, Tim, I see you kind of standing back there. Are there some on that table out there? It, there, oh, there's some in the back. So if you would like a Bible, feel free to grab one. We encourage you to do that. We're going to look at 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 22 this morning. And as you're turning there, I just want to warn you that again, in the book of 1 John, we come to another difficult passage of Scripture. We've encountered quite a few of these. Uh, I think if you're honest, Scripture has lots of passages that are difficult. This one is not difficult to understand it is difficult to accept. And that's what I want to warn you about this morning. Not that your mind might be stretched as you seek to comprehend mentally what John says here. But that your heart would be softened as you attempt to agree with what God reveals in this text. And I'm going to admit, this may be one of those Sundays where some people who come to our church may choose never to come back. I hope that's not the case. I hope I'm wrong, but we'll see. And the reason is because we're going to talk about assurance. Assurance of salvation. We're going to talk about having confidence that through your faith in Jesus Christ, you belong to the kingdom of God. That Jesus is your Lord and his kingdom is your home, both now and in eternity. We're going to talk about certainty that our faith is real and that our salvation is secure in Christ. And I think that topic is absolutely vital. Of course it is, because John deals with it. And actually, this isn't the first time he's dealt with it in this small book that he writes, Christians. And I think it's important because many people who call themselves Christians today 
are, are plagued by feelings that maybe they really aren't a Christian. Have you ever experienced that? For some of us, it's a, it's a feeling that ebbs and flows. Sometimes it comes on strong. Sometimes it's, it's not as strong. But there are others who would call themselves Christians who have an almost daily lack of confidence that they are in the kingdom of God. That they are actually a, a saved Christian. And I want to explain to you that John's goal in penning these verses that we're going to look at this morning would be that we would be alleviated of these fears. That we would come to have a deep sense of confidence that we belong to Christ, that we are in his kingdom, that we have the freedom of eternal life through what Christ has done for us. And John's going to tell us exactly how it's possible for us as Christians to have that confidence and that assurance so that we might be free from fixating on the fear that maybe we're not actually a Christian. But I also want to just explain to you that many people who have feelings that they might not be a Christian should pay very close attention to those feelings. And the reason is because I think they feel those feelings precisely because they are not, in fact, a Christian. And John's going to tell us exactly why that's the case. And so I, I have sort of a twofold prayer that I've been praying this week as I've been looking at these verses. The first is that many of you who feel a great weight about whether or not you actually are a Christian, a great uncertainty in your soul, whether you belong to the kingdom of God, that God would be merciful to you and lift that weight this morning. That you would just feel a beautiful wave of his mercy wash over you and you would have a sense of confidence in his grace. And my other prayer has been that others of you listening would find the mercy of God, and it too is a great mercy, but the mercy of God, that your blind heart would be open to the truth, that you don't feel assurance because you don't have any assurance. That the reason why you're plagued with these feelings of doubt is because, in fact, Jesus is not your Lord, and therefore he's also not your Savior. And man, the Lord needs to be mercy to you if you belong to that second group because a well-known pastor once said that no one is harder to reach with the gospel than a false Christian. And so I pray that today God would overcome that resistance if you belong in that camp. So let's read 1 John 3 verses 19 through 22. John writes, By this we shall know that we are of the truth, and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. As we begin this morning, I want to remind us of one of John's primary goals as he has been writing this letter, one of his major purposes is to bring us into fellowship with God. John wants us to experience friendship with God, relationship with God. John's definition of fellowship is that we would become a child of God. 
And then we would walk in the light of God. That we would live according to his commandments. And we would believe the truth. That we would know what is true. That we would love God. That we would seek him. That we would acknowledge our sins and repent of those sins. And receive from God the forgiveness of our sins. He wants us to understand fellowship with God as sharing in the very nature of God, the DNA of God, the spiritual reality that we belong to God and his spirit fills us, that he has taken up residence in our soul and therefore he dictates the motives of our hearts and the actions of our lives. Fellowship with God. This is a familial relationship between God and between us because of what Christ has done for us. Now, in verse 19, or in these verses, I should say, John wants us to have a deep certainty that we belong to God, that we have fellowship with God, an assurance of our salvation, this confidence settled deep in our soul that lets us know with certainty that we belong to God, that we are, in fact, a child of God. And the way that he lays this out is stunningly simple. We can have confidence in our hearts to know that we belong to God, John says in verse 19, by this. By this, we know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. I think those two words, by this, refer back to what John has already written. In particular, I think they take us back to verse 16, where we are told that we know God's love for us, When we look at Christ and we see him lay down his life in love. And that verse tells us that because we see Christ's example and we belong to Christ, therefore then we are free to also lay down our lives following the example of Christ. In other words, we know that we belong to Jesus because we see his love for us. And his love makes us into the kind of people who are free to love like he has loved. By our emulation of the love of Christ, we know that his love has transformed us. Or look at it one other way. Because the world is full of hate, because people are naturally selfish, self-centered, because they typically look out for their own good and care mostly about themselves, when a person truly has had their heart changed by Jesus, they stop behaving like that. They're changed. They look different. When we walk in love and we no longer walk in hatred, selfishness, self-centeredness, and instead we walk in love, we know that God has changed our heart. Because Jesus commanded us to love others and then he gave to us all the power and resources that we would need to be obedient to that command. He gave us his commandments. He transformed our hearts. He filled us with his spirit. He made us a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. We've been remade into creatures who now by nature do what Christ does. We do the will of God. We love God. We love others. So to sum it up one other way, it sounds like this. We have confidence that we belong to God because we love like God. 
And we love like God because that's what God has commanded us to do. And we do what God commands because Christ is in us. And apart from Christ, you cannot and you will not consistently love other people. And with Christ, you cannot consistently withhold your love from other people. Because God is love and it's now his life flowing through you. Okay, now I think verses 20 and 22 are kind of technical and difficult. So rather than get lost in the difficulty of that and the technical nature of those verses, I want to try and just make it very simple for us this morning. I think that there are three subjects present in these verses. Three possible persons that we could address from this text. I think the first one I would, I would sort of call the actual subject. It's the person that John is speaking directly to. And I think this is the person who is a born-again, regenerate Christian. Truly for you, the old is dead, the new has come, your life has been remade through faith in Christ. But I think John understands that this is a person dealing with the burden of sin, leading them to wonder, do I really belong to God? Am I really a child of God? And again, probably every Christian experiences something like this at some point in their growth towards maturity. And that's why it's so important for John to address it. This is not a minor problem among the people of God. This is a very real and major problem. And John wants this person that he's addressing to shed their burdens And to live in the joy and freedom of Christ. To know with confidence, with assurance that you are a child of God. He wants you to be assured that God loves you. And to this person he's saying, look, the heart is a very fickle thing. When God feels far from us, when we feel lonely or isolated or abandoned or anxious or weak in our sins, the heart begins to rise up inside of us and heap condemnation upon us and make us feel afraid. God no longer loves me. He's abandoned me. I've not reached his standard and therefore he has let me go. He's turned his back on me. I must not be a Christian because my heart cries out in condemnation and God feels far. And to this person, John, I think is essentially saying, silence your doubting heart. Make it be quiet. Hush it. The prophet Jeremiah tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And Satan, whose name means accuser, is constantly working in our hearts, in our minds, to sow seeds of doubt and shame and fear and isolation, that we would feel like God no longer accepts us and approves of us, that God is also heaping condemnation and guilt upon us. And so our heart is prone to condemn us, to make us feel like we are not children of God. We are unworthy of his love. We are undeserving of his grace. But look again at verse 19. John says this, by this we shall know. 
John's response to a condemning heart or the manipulation of the accuser, the condemning whispers of our fickle hearts, is a very simple remedy. Look at your life, Christian. Know by the evidence of your life that you are living in the kingdom of God. Look at your life. Is it marked by radical, unnatural, unhuman love for others? Is there something in your life that proves a divine and supernatural, wonderful love for God and the people around you? Is your life full of a tender mercy that flows towards other people as it flows to you from God? Is your life filled with a desire for your king? Are you committed to obedience to Jesus? Have you made it your lifelong ambition to draw near to him, to follow him where he leads into this deep territory of selfless, self-giving, sacrificial love that looks like the love of Christ? If your life looks like that in any sort of consistent way, then you are a child of God. That is the proof of the Spirit of God in you. You can only live that kind of loving life through the grace of God daily pouring into you. And if that describes you, then tell your heart, shut up. I am a child of God. I am redeemed through the blood of Christ. Tell those feelings of doubt to submit to what you know to be true when your heart attempts to condemn you. Reassure your fleeting heart with the saving grace of Jesus. While you were an enemy, Christ died for you. While you were yet drowning in your sins, Christ pulled you out of that and made you his own. It was not your doing then, And it's not your doing now, it is by grace. And so rest and rejoice in the truth. That if your heart feels affection for Christ, and you're moved to lay your life down to love others, then God has redeemed you, and he loves you, and you are his child. And we know it's true because you obey the commands of Jesus. You put to work the fruit of the Spirit as it's born in you through the Holy Spirit. And we are told that every branch that remains connected to the vine will bear much fruit. And so rest and rejoice and be reassured that you belong in the kingdom of God. Christ is your Lord and Savior. You are a child of the Most High God. Now I think that's who John is actually speaking to and my hope is that even though my words might fall short, if that describes you, that you'd be encouraged this morning. But there's a second person present here, I think, and I would call that person sort of an implied subject. In other words, John does not address them directly, but they are implied in these verses, and they are also present in churches. This is the person who is not saved and whose heart condemns them. Friends, it's possible that your heart feels this tension, this condemnation, because you don't silence it with the truth of God's word. 
That although you are walking in obedience, you're filled with doubt and fear and anxiety. And for you, you need to teach your heart to rest in what Scripture tells you. That's the person to whom I was just speaking. But it's also possible that your heart condemns you because you have no reason to be assured. That's another category of person that might be present in this room or might be present via live stream this morning. Some people in churches feel an unquenchable uncertainty about their faith, and they should. And the reason they should is because they are not walking in the way of Jesus. They are not committed to love. They are not faithfully following Christ in obedience. And their heart condemns them precisely because they are condemned. Churches have lots of these people, and I feel a great passion A great burden for you if you belong to this category. Because all too often, people like that go to church because their hearts are heavy. They're filled with this oppressive weight of their sin. And they go to church looking to be set free from that burden. And because preachers and pastors want to be liked, they want to be approved of, they don't want to upset upset people or hurt people's feelings, I, I would be so bold as to say preachers and pastors lie. To people. And the way in which they lie is they bring you in the doors of their churches and they tell you God loves you and they go to work silencing the, condemn- the condemning voices of your heart with spiritual encouragement and Christian platitudes. But in reality, they don't silence the condemning voice of your heart with the truth. They silence it with warm, fuzzy, Christian-like things. And the truth is, your heart condemns you and your heart is right, maybe. You are condemned. Satan, the great accuser, is accurate. And God, the great judge of the human heart, is displeased with you. That's why you feel that burden. You might be moral. You might be a rigorous church attender. You might be a a decent person. You might profess with all of your mouth that you are a Christian. But deep down, your heart continues to condemn you. And as much as you struggle to feel assurance, you can't find it. And the reason is because you're not a Christian. You're not filled with the Holy Spirit. You've not been born again. You've not been made new. You've not been raised from death to life. You've not been recreated after the image of Christ, your Lord. And frankly, if that's you this morning, then I actually hope that right now you feel the full weight of that condemnation on your soul. I actually pray to the Lord on your behalf that you feel a crushing burden of condemnation because you are condemned and you don't follow the way of Jesus and therefore you're not in the kingdom of God and you don't love people with a fierce and radical selfless love. You are still defined by selfishness and self-centeredness and your heart is right. The fear is true. You're not a child of God. And I'm not going to lie to you and make you feel good, and then send you home with a pep speech so that you can get through the rest of the week feeling okay about yourself. Look at the fruit of your life and see. See whether you abide in Christ. See whether you belong to the vine. Because those connected to the vine of Christ will bear 
much fruit for the kingdom of God. And those who don't bear much fruit, they are cut off. And they are thrown into the fire to be burned, Christ says. And so it's possible the reason why you don't feel any assurance for your salvation is because you're not a child of God. But of course you can be. That's the good news. You can be a child of God. You can feel the freedom that the child of God feels. You can be alleviated from the fears and the anxieties of a heart that condemns you. Even better, you can know the smiling, gentle, tender, loving heart of God as he embraces you and calls you his beloved child. It's really simple. All you have to do is die to yourself. All you have to do is give up your way. All you have to do is lay down your life. Repent of your sins. Like John has already told us, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just. He will forgive you of your sins and he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness that you might walk in this way of love and bear much fruit and by this know that you belong to the kingdom of heaven. John's already told us the world is passing away, but whoever does the will of God will abide forever. And so if your heart condemns you because you're not walking in the way of Jesus, then it is time to abandon your own way, give it up, commit your life to Christ, and follow him where he leads you. And just like that, you too will be made new. You will be called a beloved child of God. And my heart's deepest desire is that you would do that. If you are the person whose heart heaps condemnation upon you and you can find no rest for your soul, today is the day to turn to Christ, to let him take that burden. God never rejects a broken and contrite heart that turns to him for mercy. But I think there's a third person in this text. And I would say they're, they're not... They're not directly there and they're not even necessarily implied I would go so far as to say that they're kind of they're kind of hidden they're kind of behind the scenes it's a person who in order for me to address out of this text this morning I think I have to encourage you to think a little bit more deeply about the text and this is the person whose heart does not condemn them because they have seared their conscience and snuffed out the concerns of the heart. In pride and arrogance, they have silenced their heart, not with the truth of God's word, but with the pride of self-righteousness. These are the people whose hearts no longer condemn them because their hearts have given up trying to get their attention. But God does condemn them, even though their hearts may have given up the effort. Their conscience is seared. In fact, God condemns these people as well. In fact, I would say these are the sickest people of all because they're running out of resources by which God might interject and open up their eyes to the truth. These are the self-righteous people. They're the, the Pharisees among us. They don't love like Jesus. They don't think they need to. They are relying on their self-righteous moralism to make them approving in the eyes of God. They don't hunger for God and they don't care for other people. 
They've grown so cold inside, so deaf of their own hearts that they no longer care, that their heart might be frantically attempting to get their attention with a feeling of condemnation. These are the people who look at their lives and they think that they're justified in the eyes of God by their own works. In fact, they think that they can actually stand in the presence of God and even though their heart might have been condemning them, they can say to God, I am not condemned. They're not bearing fruit in the Spirit either. They think that they have fruit in themselves. And maybe right now in a moment of clarity, you're willing to admit that that's you. That you don't feel condemnation in your heart because you've stamped your heart out. You don't think you're the kind of person who could be condemned. And if that's you, I pray for you that God would humble you right now. I pray that he has mercy on you. You are the hardest of all people to reach. Because you, like the Pharisees, think you are righteous in yourself. And I pray that God pierces through that self-righteous pride in your soul and convicts you of the misery that you are in, in your arrogance. Because if not, if God doesn't do that, then all is lost. And for you, let me tell you, this may be the last opportunity that you have. And if you don't yield now to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the condemnation of your heart, then truly all is lost for you. God, the great judge, condemns you. You are blind to the consequences of your pride. Hearing you do not hear and seeing you do not see. And you don't even grasp the severity of the consequences. And truly, may God have mercy on your soul. Because those consequences are that you are moving towards eternal damnation. And the resources for your salvation are growing slim as you reject all the ways that God calls you back to righteousness. The good news is God will still welcome even you if you repent. Even you are not so far gone yet. Even you could find the mercy of Christ the Savior. But if you persist in muting the condemning cries of your heart and they don't lead you to repentance, then your soul your soul will be lost. And your unloving self-righteousness will come to be evidence against you on the day that God judges you. That in fact you are damned and your life is proof. And on that day, don't claim that no one ever warned you. Don't try and blame God. He tried to use your heart. He tried to use his spirit. He tried to use the word. He tried to use this sermon but you wouldn't hear it. I guess I should probably pause and simply say here that like, man, I really just have to trust that the Lord is going to sort through this sermon as it goes from my mouth to your heart this morning. I pray that I'm not misunderstood. I pray that the Holy Spirit can make some sense out of this jumble of words that I've attempted to put together because I so passionately want the Christian, the sincere Christian whose heart is burdened, not to feel more condemnation, but to feel free. And I can't, I can't do that. I tried my best, but I pray the Holy Spirit does that for you, if that's you. I'm afraid that my words might make it worse, but I have to just trust that the Holy Spirit will 
will give you the grace to feel freedom in your soul if you belong to that group. Man, and I hope that if you belong to one of the other two categories where your heart is heaping condemnation because you're not in fact a Christian or you don't feel any condemnation because you're so far from God, your heart is hard towards him, then I pray too that the Holy Spirit will make some sense out of this jumble of words and do a work in your heart. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would do that work. But let me end with a moment of encouragement for those of us that do have the Holy Spirit. Verse 22 reminds us that the call placed on every true follower of Jesus is to please him. Do you delight in pleasing God? I hope that you do. The call on our lives is to keep his commandments, to make his face shine as his love shines through us in the lives of, into the lives of other people. I, I, can t- I typically use myself as like a bad example of what not to do. I felt okay this week using myself as a, a good example of what to do. It's been a while since I've done one of those. Um, I've been following Jesus for as long as I can remember, like 30-something years. That's a long time, I think. I know I'm still kind of a young guy. I mean, I'm beginning to bald, and, but I'm, I think I'm still kind of a young guy. But 30 years. And I, I want you to understand, honestly, my heart no longer condemns me. It doesn't do that. And I share this not to boast about me, but to show you that the grace of God bears wonderful fruit in us as we walk in a long obedience to Jesus. The grace of God bears wonderful fruit. The reason why my heart doesn't condemn me, it's not because I'm perfect. It's not because I'm sinless. It's not because I'm better than you or because I'm a pastor. The reason that my heart does not condemn me is simply this. Because the Holy Spirit convicts me of sin before my heart condemns me of that sin. This is vital that you understand this. For those of us who walk with Jesus, we hear the Holy Spirit whisper to us when we sin that we've done wrong and we need to repent and we need to come back to God. And because Jesus loves us, he pierces our heart with sorrow to get us to return to him and receive his grace and forgiveness. And we repent and we turn back to him and we renew our commitment to love him. And the more that we do that, the less our heart has to condemn us. Because the Spirit convicts us. And actually, the more that we walk in that kind of life, something even more amazing begins to happen. The Holy Spirit begins to convict us before we sin. So that when temptation is coming upon us and we desire to do something that would displease Jesus, the Holy Spirit awakens inside of us and says, don't do that. There's a better way. I can empower you to walk in a way that will obey God. And when that happens, guys, the the heart doesn't have to condemn us. We don't have to feel the feelings of condemnation because the Holy Spirit is Growing us to walk in consistent righteousness. The Spirit convicts us and then aids us so that we don't have to walk in sin. And when we choose righteousness instead, 
then when our heart in its fickle moments goes looking for evidence to condemn us, it has very little to find. There's not much there. When we keep his commandments and we do what pleases God, then we give our hearts no reason to condemn us. And I admit this is a long, slow process. It takes time as we go, grow in grace. I would by no means say that I've arrived. But over time, our heart no longer condemns us because God does not condemn us. The Spirit might convict us and lead us in righteousness, but God does not condemn us. And we know that he does not condemn us, not only because we're forgiven of our sins, but also because we are walking with him in holiness day by day. And the more you walk with Jesus, the more fruit he bears in you. And so rather than feel condemnation, you feel the pleasure of God. You feel his joy. You feel his satisfaction. You feel his smile and his acceptance because you truly are his beloved child. And your life is the proof that you keep in step with the Spirit. You find that more and more what you desire is holiness and not sin. And what you desire is more of him. And you find that when you ask more of him, like verse 22 says, whatever you ask, you ask more of him. He loves to give his children the good gift of more of himself. So let us bear much fruit so that our hearts can reassure us. Let us have great confidence that we belong to God because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. Let me pray. Merciful Lord, I do ask that your spirit would do what my preaching could never do in its own power. And that is that you would speak to the hearts of people this morning. That for your children who feel a burden because their heart won't release them from feelings of condemnation, I pray that you would allow them to speak to their hearts what is true, that they are a child of God. And I pray that there would be ample evidence to silence their hearts. Lord, for those who feel condemnation and they keep going to church looking for some freedom from that condemnation in their heart, but they are not, in fact, filled with your Spirit, God, I pray that you would open their eyes, that you would pierce their hearts, that they would understand that what they need is not one more pep talk sermon, but they need to fall on their knees and repent of their sins and put their trust in Christ. And Lord, for those who seeing do not see and hearing do not hear, whose consciences have been seared and whose hearts have been silenced by their own willful arrogance, God, I pray that you would pierce their hearts. And Lord, for your children here this morning who long to have a heart that does not condemn them, I pray that they would listen to the conviction of the Spirit. When they sin, they would repent and return to you. But Lord, that as they grow, even before they sin, when temptation comes, that they would trust you and turn to you and abide in you and walk in the power of grace that you have given them. Lord, we look to you to do this work in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen.